all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. With you this morning, and uh, we're taking your calls or questions that you might have about your health or the health of someone else who is close to you. We're also taking your emails. You can call us this morning with those questions by dialing 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. I said dialing there. That's probably an old term. I, st- I grew up in the era of uh, actually dialing that and actually hearing those little clicks afterwards. So uh, uh, things change uh, quite a bit in uh, 50 years or so or 40 years. Uh, hope everybody's having a great Wednesday morning. Uh, it is a beautiful outside, uh, sort of a juxtaposition with uh, what a lot of people are going to. Still a lot of uh, concern and a lot of attention as it should be to our current uh, situation in the state with COVID. I hope everybody uh, has been following the governor's uh, recommendations and executive orders and also uh, Dr. Dobbs, our state health official who has uh, been giving uh, those as well. Uh, staying healthy is a, of the utmost concern right now, not just with COVID, but other things too. So we want to make sure that everybody is looking after their own health and any of the way that we can contribute to that here uh, at Southern Remedy, we would love to do that. So uh, stay safe, everybody. Remember, uh, you know, as much as everybody is politicized wearing a mask, uh, it's really about helping to protect others uh, because so many people have heard these stories over and over again uh, with my own patients who've had COVID and others. Uh, you know, you don't know that you have it uh, early on in the disease and uh, in the in the disease process and you can spread that to other people without knowing that and then also for younger individuals who uh, may not be as severely affected but certainly can spread it to others who might be affected I don't know of any way that you can uh, you know you can protect everybody else and show uh, how much that you uh, care for other people uh, by doing this so I you know as much as possible uh, please do that Uh, When you go out, when you're uh, particularly in situations where you're close to one another, the best way to prevent this is not uh, with a medication. It's not with uh, with right now, at least with a vaccine. It's in social distancing more than six feet and and wearing a mask. So please do that. Those are simple things um, that you can do to affect this um, this illness. And the the, uh, faster that we do that, the faster we're going to. Uh, a hold of it and get back to doing the things that we need to do. So uh, that's my plug. I did have an email question about um, COVID symptoms. So one person emailed us and said that they tested positive for COVID on July the 11th. They've recovered well, but they had one persistent side effect, hiccups. 
usually after waking in the morning and at random times throughout the day. Not a big deal, but they still have them. So uh, hiccups are actually one of the uh, not common uh, presenting uh, factors for COVID, but it is uh, one that's listed. It's been uh, described in the medical literature uh, in uh, several different journals. There's case studies of patients that have had hiccups either as a presenting symptom or, um, or as a persistent finding um, after they've had the illness. And, you know, just a little bit about hiccups. Hiccups is an involuntary spasm of the muscles of the diaphragm and the intercostal muscles. So those are the ones that are used in breathing. Uh, and it's caused by a number of things, not just COVID. So there's a lot of, uh, most everybody has had hiccups from one time uh, or another. One of the things to keep in mind about hiccups is that there are many causes. If it lasts beyond 48 hours, we usually call that persistent hiccups. I know that sounds like a long time to have two days worth of hiccups. And uh, even now with COVID in the community and, and everywhere, really, that's not the, the only thing that we would uh, consider in causing it. There's a lot of things, uh, central nervous system disorders that can cause it. There's a uh, uh, of an ischemic uh, stroke, uh, an infarct is what we call it, uh, in the later, lateral medullary uh, uh, infarction or Wallenberg syndrome. That's, uh, that's actually a common presentation is hiccups along with other symptoms. There's lots of problems with the vagus and phrenic nerves, which innervate the diaphragm and the intercostal uh, muscles. And uh, by intercostal, I mean between the ribs. So costal just means ribs. Uh, you can have GI problems that can cause that, post-operative changes. There's other irritants that can do that. But, uh, but it is one of the things that, and it fits with what happens in the lungs with an inflammatory process that you could have hiccups. Um, most of the time, these resolve with time. There are some medications that can, um, that can be used to decrease uh, hiccups if it goes beyond 48 hours. So medications like baclofen, which is a muscle relaxer that's commonly used, and gabapentin, which is most commonly used uh, for uh, long-term chronic neuropathic pain. Both of those have been used with a fair degree of uh, success. And then beyond that, there's some other medications that have uh, more side effects that can be used. So uh, it is something that we can see. Um, again, not a common finding, but one, and not specific only to COVID, but it certainly is something that could potentially be a presenting symptom, or it could uh, be a persistent uh, symptom after you've gotten over COVID. So to that emailer, I, I would say, email listener, I would say, you know, it's it, it's probably going to go away with time, but if it persists much beyond a couple of weeks, I would uh, check with your physician on that. All right, we're going to go to our first caller, and the number to call this morning is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Sue in Beaumont. Good morning. How are you, doctor? Good. Thank you for calling, Sue. Well, I, I heard this rumor, I suppose you called it a rumor, on, I read on Facebook or somewhere about that people with type A blood types are more susceptible to getting the coronavirus than people with O-type o blood are more resistant. Is, is there anything to the blood type, <laughs> having a certain blood type that makes you more resistant or susceptible to covid yeah, I've seen that too, Sue. And early on, uh, it was thought, and you have to sort of understand how this information comes up with something is new, that's a new disease. Um, so one of the first things we look at is observational patterns. In other words, 
what are the people who are presenting with this? What's unique about them? And particularly those people who have worse times with, if they have much worse symptoms with COVID. So one of the things early on that a lot of people were noticed to have type A blood rather than type O, and then type O blood didn't seem to get as severe an illness. Now, when they've, when they've, uh, you can see those patterns over time. And at first it might seem like, oh, well, okay, well, that is something that we can use to predict, you know, who's going to have more severe illness. Turns out they've done a little bit more uh, data on that. And uh, with larger numbers of people that have had COVID now, that doesn't seem to be to sort of wash, it's sort of washed out and doesn't seem to be a reason that, you know, type A blood would put you at increased risk. Now that the blood types have to do with the antigens on your red blood cells, and there are associations with, uh, with that with your immune system. So it's tied together with your immune system. It doesn't, your red blood cells really don't have an active role in that, but depending on what antigens, which determine your blood type on your red blood cells, there are different illnesses that you might be more susceptible to but not in a predictive fashion. In other words, if you have type A blood or type O blood, we can't say, well, you know, if you're type O, you're not going to have any problems with COVID or type A, you are. That's just not, you know, the, the data doesn't suggest that um, that uh, that closely. So uh, it is interesting, though, and that's one of the many things that researchers are looking at to try to both predict and to look and see who we might get treat. Uh, we don't really have a good treatment for uh, covid uh, by all the randomized controlled trials that we have, but um, but that's something that they, they continue to look at. So great question, Sue. Very interesting. I appreciate it. Yes, ma'am. Uh, thank you for calling. Yeah, it just goes to show you those all the things that go into a new diagnosis. I think we've become very um, lulled into a sense of complacency with just how complicated it can be when you have a new illness to figure out all the things that go into the diagnosis uh, the appropriate treatment, and certainly, you know, uh, doing that in the um, doing that in the um, setting of having, um, you know, having the right kind of data that sort of drives what you do is very important. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. If you're a parent on the go but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning uh, answering your calls about any kind of healthcare questions that you might have. I uh, got a good call already about um, blood type and COVID. Uh, certainly, we don't want to limit it just to COVID, but any kind of health problems that you might be having. Maybe it's a new symptom that you're having, a new medication that doctors put you on that you have some questions about, or maybe it's a side effect of that medication that you want to ask some questions for. Um, we are here for you, 
and we can uh, help uh, answer those questions. If we can't, we'll try to point you in the right direction. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. We know that some of our listeners aren't able to uh, to call in. You may be involved in some other things and you're just able to listen. If you want to send us your question or comment by email, we would love to uh, hear from you. You can send it to remedy at mpbonline.org. Uh, Kevin and I were talking through the break there about hiccups and old wives tales or old home remedies, I guess. Uh, that you can do for hiccups, like holding your breath for a certain amount of time, uh, swallowing at the same time that you're having a hiccup, drinking water, those kinds of things. It can be really funny, uh, not for the person who has the hiccups, for somebody else who's in the room while some of those things are going on sometimes. But uh, those can work. And really, there are some maneuvers that you can do that are vasovagal maneuvers that uh, can help uh, decrease those nerve impulses or going from the brain down uh, the nerves to the uh, to the diaphragm and the other muscles that are involuntary uh, involuntarily uh, contracting. So you can do some of those things. Um, stroke, uh, you know, stroke is one of those things that we fear the most. Uh, certainly, heart attack and stroke. We're in both of those increased areas of the country where, because of our um, prevalence of hypertension, diabetes, and elevated cholesterol. Uh, we're in increased risk for particularly hypertension. So what are the signs of stroke? I and mean, it's still a little bit uncommon for, uh, I think, for people to understand that. And we need to have some good reminders about that. Uh, there are common and uncommon signs of stroke. I'm going to give you the common ones that if you, if, if a person, if yourself, if you're having these or if somebody else is, then you should uh, probably get some medical attention very quickly. And basically, when I say stroke, that is just decreased blood flow to a certain part of the brain uh, that can cause permanent damage in that area of the brain. Uh, a TIA, a transient ischemic attack, is sort of a precursor to a stroke. And again, you're getting decreased blood flow to an area, but not long enough to cause permanent damage. So you want to catch these things early, though. You don't want to wait until you have more profound symptoms uh, every minute. Uh, with the brain is precious because you want to help preserve as much tissue as possible. So one of the most common symptoms uh, here they are sudden numbness or weakness in your face, arm, or leg, especially on one side of the body. Uh, so if you have weakness on both sides of the body, it's less likely that you're having a stroke. But if you have numbness, say, in your left arm, left leg, uh, or weakness in that area or in your face, uh, those, are, those are warning signs of a stroke. Sudden confusion or trouble speaking or difficulty understanding speech. Those can all be signs that you're having a stroke. Trouble seeing in one or both eyes. So if you see, if you're having double vision or, uh, or blurry vision uh, in one or both eyes, that can be a sign. Sudden trouble walking, dizziness, loss of balance or lack of coordination. So those are, can all also be accompanied by a stroke. And then finally, southern severe headaches with no known cause. And this is not the kind of headache that you would normally have with, say, uh, tension headaches or migraine headaches. If you have those, uh, this is something that would be much more severe. So if you have any of those symptoms or somebody in your family or home has those symptoms, you want to call 911 right away uh, if you or someone has those so that they can get, uh, get seen about. All right, let's go to uh, Mary calling from Millington, Tennessee. Good morning, Mary. Good morning. 
Thanks for calling. Uh, I was next to a teenager that her sister uh, broke out with uh, that virus, and this teenager broke out three days later. Does that mean that I should quarantine? I should catch, is it a chance that I can catch it, even though it was several days before she broke out? Yeah, so, so just so I can understand, so you are around somebody else who was exposed to another person. Is that correct? Right. And then that person okay. I was near broke out with it three yeah. days later. So, so uh, yeah, if you were, of course, it, it, you know, it has to be, it's probably low risk, to be honest with you. There's two ways to go about this. You could get tested uh, for COVID. And if it's, you know, usually it takes a couple of days to see, uh, depending on what tests they use, uh, the PCR test is the most accurate test. It's the most sensitive test. So that may take a day or more to come back, depending on where you get the test. The rapid test that they have are antigen tests. And there's one in development for PCR and for flu for the fall, but it, it's, it's still in, in, they're trying to get all the kinks out of it right now. So you could get tested and that would let you know. Uh, or you could sort of quarantine yourself and see if you get symptoms. Um, and, and really what we're trying to do is your exposure is already there, right? So you've already been exposed. There's nothing that you can do personally, uh, you know, for yourself, but to help prevent the spread to uh, potentially to other people. Um, if you, uh, you know, if you uh, quarantine yourself for 10 days uh, without testing, that would be the time period that you would need to do that. And then if you develop you know, symptoms, I would call your physician and uh, let them know you had a potential uh, exposure and then they could get you tested. Okay. Um, you know, it does decrease your risk if you were wearing a mask, if they were wearing a mask, if it wasn't we a close contact. No, we weren't Go ahead. wearing masks. Yeah. So that's, you know, that increases your risk, certainly. Um, if they're asymptomatic, it probably wasn't as much of a risk, although a younger individual can, you know, can be totally asymptomatic and still spread this without even coughing or that kind of thing. No. Um, so, okay. yeah, I think you got two options. You could go ahead and get tested or you could quarantine yourself for 10 days, and that would be the safest thing to make sure you don't spread it around to other people. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for calling, Mary. A uh, little bit of confusion with that. That's actually the 10 days is an updated CDC recommendation. I guess it was last week. Time is, with all this, is run together for me. But um, uh, that may be a mental status question that I might miss on my stroke screen. But, um, yeah, so 10, it, it used to be 14 days. And now we're, the, again, the more data we have, that's why we're changing, because we have better data. And we don't want people to be quarantined any longer than they have to be. So, 10 days is uh, is the, the change on that. There's also one if you've had symptoms of a fever or you've had COVID, if you're uh, fever-free in 24 hours rather than 72 hours, then it's okay for you to go back to doing what you're doing. Um, one other thing I would point out too, if you do pet test positive for, for COVID, please stay in your own home away from other people. Uh, you may feel fine. You may have very minimal symptoms. It doesn't matter what age. But again, what we're trying to do is to decrease the spread to other people, potentially those people who are most at risk. Uh, so please wear a mask uh, if you're around other people in your home. 
if other people live with you. And uh, please stay there until you get over that uh, illness in that 10-day uh, period or uh, 24 hours of fever-free. Um, another thing is, you know, it, for people who've had COVID, uh, you certainly uh, may have some protection, but there's no way to predict that. So this is not 100% that you can't get it again. As I've talked to some people that have the notion that, you know, you can, once you get COVID, you could go back out in the community and you'll be fine and you won't get it again. Um, you still need to wear a mask. You still need to keep your distance from other people. Uh, it's just not very certain that you're going to um, have that immunity. And there's a lot of good data, particularly for people who don't have a severe symptoms, that that immunity may only last uh, one to three months at best. So uh, something that, again, that we're looking at. Uh, this is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Uh, back to stroke just for a little bit. So, you know, what can you do if you have uh, somebody in your family that you think is having a stroke? So one thing to ask them to do, you know, we talked about some of those symptoms, weakness in the face. Uh, if you can remember FAST, F-A-S-T, uh, that's a good screening uh, tool that you can use for somebody who's at risk for stroke if they start to have some of these symptoms. Ask the person, F is for face, ask them to smile uh, and then ask, you know, just look at their face. Is it asymmetrical? Does one side of the face droop more than the other side? So that's F. A is arms. Ask them to raise both arms. And does one arm drift downward after they uh, raise it up? S is for speech. Does the person, you know, you can ask them to repeat a simple phrase. Is the speech slurred or is it strange? Is it different from what you would normally hear from them? And then finally, T is time. So if they have any of these symptoms, you need to call 911 right away because the longer you wait, uh, the less time you have to stop some of the damage from uh, decreased blood supply to the brain uh, or to reverse some of that. So we have very good ways of treating stroke. Uh, we know that if we get to it early, there's a much better chance of reversing some of those effects. Uh, so the closest, uh, the closer uh, you can get to, or fastest you can get to somebody, uh, the better with that. Um, you know, I have some patients too. In fact, I just talked to one on the phone for, uh, before we came on the air about just the general, you know, health that they've had. We know that we've had because of this, and because we've been separated from some of the normal ways that we see our patients for regular visits, for screening visits. Uh, that we're going to have a lot of patients that have missed those opportunities to pick up on things like colon cancer earlier with their colonoscopy or, uh, or other things uh, that, we've, uh, that we may not have had the best uh, control over. Thankfully, uh, you know, we've, we've learned a lot about how we can use telemedicine even better than what we knew before. We've been able to extend that out to our patients, particularly our most vulnerable patients, and try to protect them and treat their medical conditions. However, don't get lulled into thinking you don't need to go to the doctor uh, if you have problems. So that is important. Uh, it can be even more important than, uh, well, it, it's both equally important to avoid getting COVID, but it may be if you're having chest pain or if you're having some of these stroke symptoms, if you're having uh, bleeding uh, from your rectum or uh, coughing up blood, you need to get seen about that. So we don't want to delay those kinds of things. Uh, in our patients and want to have access for that kind of care. Because there is some concerns about the impact that, that COVID has had on all of our medical conditions and trying to treat that 
with our patients and making sure that we have control over those things. So don't forget about doing that. If you have any questions, reach out to your physician. They may be able to uh, address some of those things in a manner over the phone or over a telehealth visit where they can actually do audiovisual visits with you. Um, again, that's a, a really good tool that we have now to uh, reach out to our patients that we didn't quite have five years ago. So, uh, and hopefully that'll continue. I know particularly in Mississippi, it's a, it is a challenge to reach out to a lot of people uh, who live in certain places that don't have a physician or maybe they're uh, just in a, in a situation where they don't have uh, access to transportation or other means to get to a physician. So uh, trying to do the best we can with uh, keeping everybody healthy out there. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hello, I'm Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advising firm and co-host of Money Talks. For over 10 years, Money Talks has been answering your personal financial questions and sharing knowledge about money management. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy in the morning talking about all the healthcare questions that you might have, giving you a little bit of information, but taking the time to answer your calls about your health or somebody else uh, that is around you. You can call in this morning by dialing 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can always uh, email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Let's go to Rick, who is in, I believe, in Little Rock. Good morning, uh, Rick. Hi there. Um, I have a hearing aid, so it's kind of hard to hear sometimes. But what I'm calling about is I've heard the term mini stroke, and I don't quite understand. You know, to me, it's either black or white. You have one or you don't. And yeah, the that is a confusion. The second part of this question would be about the symptoms. I experience all the symptoms you've discussed, except they're from uh, nerve damage in my spine. So if I get numbness and tingling in my arms and legs, I pretty much write it off. It's just a, a nerve problem. Yeah, Rick, uh, that's two great questions. Let me take the first one, uh, you know, just the terminology of mini stroke. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I think that one is, has gotten to be, it is confusing, honestly, because you're right. Is it a stroke or is it not a stroke? Uh, the confusion arises in, you know, mini strokes are really the same thing as a TIA, a transient uh, ischemic attack. And what, what happens is, uh, the way I like to describe this is if you were watering your lawn with a, uh, with a hose hooked up to your water spigot and a sprinkler in your front yard. 
So if you're watering your lawn and your grass looks okay, as long as it's particularly in those hot summer months, uh, as long as it's getting water, if you decrease the, the pressure of the water going to the sprinkler system, it's going to decrease the area that you're watering. So uh, that is, uh, you know, that's the same kind of thing that can happen in the brain with decreased blood flow to certain areas. Now, maybe that is a, just a, a transient, a, an intermittent blockage for whatever reason um, that happens and then it goes away. So you'd still have the symptoms of maybe that, you know, same kind of thing like in the situation with your yard where your grass gets a little bit yellow, it dies down a little bit, but then it gets watered pretty quickly and perks back up. If it doesn't, though, and there's a permanent decrease in the amount of blood flow going to an area, it's going to die. So a mini stroke really is the same thing as those TIAs. It's not quite all the damage that's there. Now, to muddy the water a little bit more, you know, you can have... Uh, decreased blood flow to certain areas of the brain. And although the, the, the tissue itself that was controlling different things, whether that was how you feel things, how you move, your speech, how you think, whatever the area of the brain that's being affected, it may be permanently damaged and die. But another area of the brain just next to that area may pick up some of those functions with time. So that's why therapy is so important. So that's really the differences. You're right. I mean, if it's a stroke, there's permanent damage there. You can usually see that on imaging of the brain, uh, particularly if it's greater than 24 to, you know, somewhere 24 to 72 hours by MRI or CT scan. Um, and uh, but other things are, that are transient in nature, you may, they're not going to show up on on the scan uh, as prevalently as they would with a, as a stroke. And it's going to usually resolve with time, but you still want to look at why you had those. Now, the other question about symptoms, since you do have another cause of those with the, the damage to your nerves uh, in your spine, I, I would say for yourself, it is a little bit tricky when you have some of those same symptoms, but if those symptoms, um, if those aren't in the same kind of way that you normally would, would feel those, that would be an instance where you want to call your physician. So outside of the of what your true normal is, that's going to be uh, that's going to be really key. A lot of people who have uh, neuromuscular disorders, muscular sclerosis, muscular dystrophy, they certainly have a lot of incoordinated uh, movements. Uh, Parkinson's is another one, and certainly they can have those symptoms. But if there's something out of the ordinary uh, than what you would normally experience, that's when you want to contact your physician and get checked out. So thank you, Rick, for that call. We do appreciate it, and uh, good luck to you and uh, what you're doing. Uh, so I think we've got our next caller is Melody, who's on the road. Good morning, Melody. Yes, I'm here. Thanks for calling. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was driving. That's okay. Please be safe. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, my question is, I'm making masks all day right now, and I have been for a while, and we're we've been using a combination of cotton and basically swimsuit material for the front uh -huh. versus the back. And I just want to make sure that we're using all the right stuff. Um, Cause I'm putting yeah, out like 10 masks a day. I want them to be good. <laughs> right. I think some of the, you know, size is probably the biggest thing. So depending on who you're making okay. them for, for, in fact, my wife just picked some up from somebody who wanted to, uh, to, to, uh, you know, make some masks and they were all really small. I'm, my, my face is pretty normal size, but, um, Right. It needs to 
you know, it needs to cover from the really the bridge of the nose all the way down uh -huh. below the chin. And I think uh -huh. most people now are using sort of a pleated pattern uh, for those cloth yeah. masks. And then, you know, to have the, the attachments for the strings or, or the elastic on the side. Yeah. Another thing that's useful and it's a little bit more comfortable, particularly, uh -huh. you know, in decreasing the pressure on your nose is to have a little space to put a wire in the top part Perfect. that you can bend down. Yeah, that's exactly what I've been doing with pipe cleaners, Perfect. basically. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very useful. And then uh, and it's nice to have that so you can take it, you know, take it out because the, all the cloth masks need to be washed yeah. frequently. Yeah, um, frequently. So, yeah. <laughs> And then the other thing you mentioned, you know, what's it made out of? Cloth, cloth polyester. Uh, both uh -huh. those are, are, are good. Uh, they've looked at like the differences in those. You know, mm -hmm. obviously the the uh, the more breathable it is, sometimes that lets more particles in. Um, yeah, but I, it sounds longer. like with a you know with a, <laughs> a, a cotton and then swimsuit. I don't know if that's lycra or if it's polyester or, or what mm -hmm. kind of material. It's, I think um, it's all polyester. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably fine to use. And, and some okay. of these have, like, they're usually uh, not just one layer, but two. Uh, mm -hmm. That's sort of useful, you know, on the front. Okay. Uh, but it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like you're making a, a really good mask. Good, good, good. Thank you for all your help. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. And thanks for, uh, thanks for helping out and doing that. That's a great service that you can uh, provide for other people. All right, let's go to uh, Alice in Macomb. Good morning, Alice. Good morning. I'm confused. Uh, okay. To you, it sounds like a stroke. What's the difference between a stroke and bear palsy? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's a great My question. My mouth was drooped just like you was uh, just talking, and I said, I must have had a stroke. What's the difference between a stroke and a bear palsy? Yeah. Some people will come into the ER with exactly what you're talking about. Like the one side of their face would be drooping and they'll say, you know, I think I'm having a stroke and it turns out to be Bell's palsy. Bell's palsy is caused by usually a viral infection that you'll get. And then somewhere between uh, one, two weeks after that, maybe even longer, you can have damage to the facial nerve that controls the muscles on that one side of the face. So it is nerve damage, but it's damage to the nerve, not in your brain, but actually in your face. And it's usually caused by uh, a uh, exaggerated immune response to that, um, to that, uh, that virus. Sometimes you can have multiple outbreaks of that. It can sort of come and go depending on what the cause is, but it is not a stroke. Uh, you still need to be evaluated at least in the physician's office to make sure that, that it's not a stroke. Sometimes that will require um, imaging, CT scan, or MRI of your brain, but it's totally different. So you're right, though. It can look exactly the same. I've seen patients that presented with stroke and uh, lots of patients that had Bell's palsy, and the initial symptoms are really similar. So it can be a little bit difficult to tease that out. You need a, a physician doing a really good exam and maybe doing some other studies like uh, imaging of the brain. But, Alice, I don't want to, I didn't, I didn't need to carry you. Yeah, I have trouble body. with that eye. Right, yeah, and Bell's palsy can affect the eye, too, like the eyelid, because that's, again, those are the muscles on that one side of the face that the nerve goes to. Um, but, yeah, you're, it sounds like you're not having a stroke if you've already had that diagnosis. Because I ate for the night when I had it. They said take six to 
at three to six months to get all right, but I still have problems. Still kind of crooked a little bit, but still have that uh, right eye problem. Right. Yeah, and the and the eye is something you want to pay particular. Uh, you know, make sure that you're paying particular interest to because it if you're not closing that eye uh, completely then you can have, the eye can sort of dry out and you can do some damage to the eye. So a lot of times they'll, you know, even have like an eye patch or they'll have uh, drops that you can put in the eye or even tape it shut at night. Um, but those are all some things to keep in mind with that. You're right though, like six to eight weeks, you should have resolution of that. So that's, you know, something to, to look forward to as that nerve recovers. We know a lot more about nerve recovery uh, for severed nerves or nerves that are injured from other means. So, um, you know, that's, that's something that you can recover over time. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. questions about any kind of health concerns that you might have, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Kevin, we were uh, talking earlier. I think you had a question. Uh, yeah, it's uh, something that I have occasionally concerning eyesight, and it's uh, I guess I could describe it as floaters. Occasionally, I'll get these things that seem to float into my vision, and it's not that I can't see, but it's sort of obstructing my vision. And it's uh, oftentimes it seems like it's something that's kind of like moving or undulating or whatever. Doesn't last very long, uh, and it goes away, and it's just periodic. Wondering kind of if that's uh, normal, and then what it might be. Yeah, floaters are extremely common, particularly as you get older, you can have those. I, I have a horror story, though, myself about a floaters. So I can remember watching the movie Aliens and then having a floater in my eye after watching that movie. And I was convinced that I had something inside me that was going to just burst out. So hopefully that's not the case. Uh, but again, extremely common. The interior of the eye, or the globe, uh, has some material in it. It's not hollow. It has something called the vitreous in it, and it's sort of a gel-like substance, and it helps light to, um, to be transmitted uh, through there. It's usually clear uh, to the back of the eye on the retina. Uh, all these structures, of course, have cells that, uh, that line them and that turn over, so you can get some things that sort of float around in the vitreous 
and and can uh, uh, obstruct your eyesight. It is very common, though. There are some conditions where you can have some more. Uh, so if it's something that's fixed in your eyesight, that's a warning sign. Uh, like in other words, it's not just floating around, but it's a fixed area where you it's a black spot or a dark spot. Um, if it looks reddish, uh, that's another uh, sort of um, um, uh, red flag too. Or if you've had any kind of trauma and then you have these things right after it. So if you get hit in the head or hit in the eye itself, uh, if you're playing tennis, Kevin, I know you're a big tennis player. So if you get hit in the head or the, or the eye with a ball and then you had some problems with that, but usually they're okay. Certainly you'd want to talk to your ophthalmologist about that, uh, but floaters are very common. It's usually just debris as we get older that sort of accumulates. And it can be, um, you know, it can sort of come and go. It doesn't, uh, for a lot of people, there's floaters that the size and the how they look, that can change over time. It's funny, I'm looking at my com computer screen right now, and I'm seeing a floater as I talk about this. So I have them too. Uh, normal findings. Uh, you know, your ophthalmologist will reassure you about that. But if there's any kind of change in your vision itself, if it's blurry vision, uh, or if you've had some trauma to your eye, you definitely want to get that looked at. I did want to have a follow-up email. This is a follow-up of another email that we had. Question about falls in the elderly and how can you uh, prevent those and uh, what are some of the causes? So one of the things I try to steer people toward good resources and uh, we love it when uh, you contribute to that too. That's one of the things I love about Southern Remedy is you contribute to the conversation by your experience and some of the things that, um, that you have found uh, useful uh, from time to time. So we did have uh, somebody that said uh, one resource that we neglected to mention is the AARP uh, for fall prevention and other things that, um, that affect uh, the elderly. So if you're not familiar with the AARP, it's the American Association of Retired Persons. So it's an interest group that focuses on issues that affect the elderly. They're very broad in scope in what they look at. Uh, really good, useful information. Uh, as it relates to fall prevention, they have a lot of good things in there talking about how you can decrease falls. You know, as you plan for retirement, as you plan to downsize in different homes, a lot of people don't think about that. They don't think about door uh, the uh, um, thresholds in their houses or carpets or those kinds of things, rugs, uh, all those kinds of things that can affect your mobility and some of the things that you can do to help uh, increase your mobility. It's also very good. They put out a monthly bulletin. If you're, you know, if you're in that age range, you, I get these in the mail all the time. I've been getting them for 10 years. They're, they're, uh, they reach out to a lot of people. Very inexpensive to join. They have a monthly bulletin uh, and a magazine that's full of information about different scams. To, unfortunately, our elderly are targeted a lot uh, to, uh, you know, by uh, trying to embezzle money or other uh, uh, other scams that they might encounter. Uh, legislation that affects the seniors, uh, investments, all kinds of good stuff. So membership, again, is pretty inexpensive and uh, qualified uh, senior enrollees uh, can get dis discounts on that too. So just another resource that you might want to check out to help uh, with uh, fall prevention and other things as you get older. And that's the AARP, the American Association of Retired Persons. Um, People ask me all the time, been, been getting this hit with, thankfully, I love my patients that I see. They ask me, you know, Doc, how are you doing? What are you doing to take care of yourself? And I think they, uh, it's a common question to ask uh, to try to get some ideas as a patient how you might do that. Um, 
I won't say I'm perfect. Uh, I certainly uh, have my vices. Uh, chocolate is one of them. Kevin can see my sign behind me that says I can give up uh, chocolate, uh, but I'm not a quitter. Um, so, uh, you know, that's something that I enjoy. Um, but, uh, you know, I've, I've been trying to stay as active as possible. You know, physically, there's a lot of things that you can do. I think, thankfully, COVID has given us an opportunity to look at that, see a lot more people out and about, particularly when I'm out running on the weekends um, in the on Saturday mornings uh, and Saturday afternoons. So uh, getting out, getting active, trying to look at what you eat and trying to be healthy about that. We've had, you know, early on a lot of uh, um, challenges that we had with access to food for a lot of people. I think that's lessened up certainly right now. Still want to say stay stay safe when you do that. Uh, growing uh, locally, you know, I have a, about a thousand square foot raised bed garden that I uh, doesn't take the place of a lot of the foods that we eat, but it sort of supplements that. It's fun. It's very therapeutic. Again, it's more exercise that you can get uh, on a day-to-day basis. And then uh, mental health is probably the biggest one that I think is, is a big challenge. I've certainly seen this in my patients who are dealing with isolation with uh, even if they're connected by Skype or Facebook Live or uh, whatever social media or uh, FaceTime that you're using to connect with the people that you normally would in person, uh, that's still there's a lot of social isolation in that. And I would challenge you to find ways to, as I've been challenged, to find ways to connect with people. I, you know, we, we have, uh, we've had a lot of good opportunities to, uh, to take time with our own family and talk about non-COVID issues. Uh, talking about COVID issues is important to try to deal with those, particularly if you have children in your house or uh, adolescents, uh, just to talk through it. Um, that's, that's helpful to do that. But then also friends to, uh, you know, that you, uh, if there are smaller circles of friends and you're all sort of practicing social isolation, that's a, good opportunity to do that. So those are some of the things that I'm trying to do. Again, I'm not perfect. I try to work towards uh, to be as healthy as possible for myself and as a as an example. But um, those are things to uh, to keep in mind. Well, with school openings right on us, I know uh, Dr. McLeod on Thursdays is probably uh, talking about this a good bit. But I did want to reemphasize to everybody, it's extremely important to keep your kids healthy going into school. Uh, that includes sleep and proper nutrition. So make sure you're doing that at home. Uh, most kids and adolescents are going to need anywhere from seven to 10 hours of sleep a night, whether they like it or not. That's what's going to keep them the most healthy. And for us too, seven to nine hours for most adults is what is generally recommended. So uh, set those schedules now. Don't wait till the last minute to do that uh, so your kids uh, can be prepared to get back into the swing of things no matter what kind of school uh, activities that they're doing, if it's in person or online, they still need to be having some uh, scheduling with that because it's the best thing to keep them healthy. So um, those are some things to uh, definitely keep in mind with uh, with what's going on in the next couple of weeks. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy.
no matter if you use an app to start your car or still have a flip phone. Everyday Tech can decipher today's technology for tomorrow's solutions. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or the MPB public media app.